on the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Catholic. It's Carrie Janice here and I am here once again with my good friend, Mike Walsh. Hey, Carrie, what's going on? Not too much. Just hanging out again in my neck of the woods. Yeah, we... Three uh, podcasts in a row. Well, actually, no, because uh, we're a... recording this a little early, oh, and I've decided I... to switch up the thing a little bit. So last week, they would have heard... Stand corrected. Marianella and some of our teachers uh, about what it was like oh, nice. um, doing remote learning during the, mm-hmm. the COVID situation. And actually, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast yet, which you haven't because it hasn't come out yet, nope. Carrie... Didn't even know it was recorded. That's no, good. it's a really good uh, conversation on everything that Catholic teachers did to, uh, in a very short period of time, to move from in-person learning to remote learning, and a lot of the successes they had. We talked about some of the failures they had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really great podcast. So I, you know, if I'll you have haven't to listened to it, check that out. That is really great. I think you know we need to give our teachers a lot, a lot of credit in what they, we really what they did, especially in the Catholic schools, to continue to transmit the faith and also transmit what they need to share with their students, which is the lessons, the the workload and everything that they're used to doing in person now online. That was a a difficult difficult time but our teachers really rose to the occasion so i look forward to hearing that yeah so that's that's what we're doing in the past and but we know what we don't have and we'll, we'll, i don't mind talking about this on air What's that? i have no plans for future podcasts uh carrie so oh, uh you do i give you like two. no no we, i have ideas but nothing's set in stone yet and you've given me ideas but if any of the listeners had things that they wanted us to uh, uh to talk about i was gonna let us open know. this up to them because i've always been very open you know contact us on instagram or twitter mm-hmm. or facebook um and let us know or go to our you know we don't talk about it very often we, we actually we do have, have a, a website. We do have a website, <laughs> talking.catholicstarherald.org. You can always find us there as well. But uh, Talking Catholic across uh, Instagram, Facebook, and and uh, YouTube, and, um, and the one I'm forgetting, Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Yeah, all those are on. All the major ones are on. You got so, it. So uh, if people want to have us do something, that's great. Because actually, one of our recent guests contacted us they, when we had the poet uh, Nicole Rolander on. Yeah, she, she was great. She reached out. and Yeah, and she had a great story. I wasn't able to do that one, but uh, you and you and Pete Sanchez did it, and it was a really great conversation. It was. I enjoyed having Nicole on. And, and right after that, we had the arts. So we had Mike yeah. Divas. So it was a fun. Those are two fun podcasts that were a little different. So we are open to Mike. Mike always said, no idea is too crazy. Is that yeah. your line? Uh, that, well, that, um, that's so more uh, no kind than I would No off the table? <laughs> I, I forget how you put it. But I think I put it more directly as no idea is too stupid so long as it won't get us fired. There it is. That, there it is. If it's not going to get us canned. I made it a little nicer. <laughs> that's right. Um, but it's I true. S- I, you know, and I re- I'm still actually, I had somebody pose something, an idea to me today that I thought was, uh, my first inclination was go, that is such a dumb idea. We are mm-hmm. definitely not doing that. And I thought about it for a second. I'm like, I am in no position to turn anything down right now, considering, you know, we're still in an area where we're trying to reopen our parishes and but still at the same time engage with our parishioners. So if someone's got an idea out there that's maybe not necessarily would be in my wheelhouse, I'll still feel, if you can show me how people would react positively to it, I will definitely give it a go. That's nice of you to be so open. I'm just a wonderful person. (laughs) As our guest today, we'll talk about it as well, how wonderful I am. Oh, yes. (laughs) You're well-loved, Mike. (laughs) Well-loved. She says through gritted teeth. The... um, 
No, actually, I, you know, I, I don't even want to make him wait too long because it's 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 such a miracle that uh, we got this guy on the yeah, podcast. This I really is get so ready. awesome, and it's not on Zoom because he's he's here he's in person. In our presence, that's right. Yeah, for he, the first time in a year. I for know. The most part. Yeah. And, it, and I've seen him like three times in the past week, so this is even better because and that was almost I, overkill for us. Yeah, it is. <laughs> right. But we're making up for lost time. So, <laughs> so who's our guest? Uh, our guest is the uh, vocations director emeritus of the diocese academy. <laughs> 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 title that he hates. <laughs> no, uh, we have with us uh, someone who has been on the podcast several times, but never solo. We have uh, Father Michael Romano, whose current title is the director of, uh, hold on, it begins with an A, and I can't remember it. Ends with an S. Yeah, I'm totally going to, why can I not? Admissions. There you director go. Director of admissions mm. for the North American College in Rome correct that's correct that's right 100 percent. does the north american college in rome have a longer name or is it just north american college the pontifical north american college is what mm-hmm. i knew i kept dropping a word Drop right. but most of us say the north american college yeah because they call it the knack exactly so yeah you forget the knack doesn't sound so <laughs> yeah, good yeah. so <laughs> close so you uh you left uh, the diocese of camden after uh the knack reached out to you last year about the possibility of of jumping onto this job and you did leaving us, you know, kicking the sand off of South Jersey from your sandals and, and heading to Rome for getting week. No, that's not true. Actually, it was quite a sad, if anything, uh, you saw this great outpouring of love and, and, and you know, sadness that you were going. And um, I never understood it, but it was it, a lot of people said it, so. Not even my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, uh, you've now spent a year away from the diocese doing really important work for the Catholic Church in general. Tell us how it's been. Have you had a nice time? What did you Wait, do when I you would, first went I, to Rome? I want to back up just a second. What was it even like to get that? that initial I don't know if it was a letter or email asking you to join like what were your initial even feelings before going well I guess it was a, a, a total shock um, and it's not like they reached out to me they reached out to the bishop mm-hmm. so Bishop Sullivan received a request that he would consider releasing me to, to work as a formation advisor at the seminary so kind of doing what I was doing with our seminarians but now actually living at a seminary and and helping to form the priests for the United States of America that we're studying in Rome. Um, So he received the letter and then had to talk to me about it. Uh, So it was a little bit of a a process, but I think, I don't know who was more shocked, uh, you know, the bishop or me, (laughs) but after some conversations, uh, you know, he was, he was willing for, you know, to release me to do this service for a few years, um, which I, you know, I can be nothing but grateful to him because we work so closely together and it wasn't something that he saw in, in his future um, or for the future of our diocese, but thought that it would be good for me just as a, a natural next step after being vocation director to do some some work in the seminary. So it was um, it, it was a shock. And then that was September mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be going until July. So then there was a long time of not being able to talk about it. Oh, um, like yeah. almost like a year ago? Yeah, there was, I, I guess like in March we finally announced in it. But wow. it, it, so it was a long time of, yeah. of knowing that a change was coming, but not yeah. being able to say anything to people. Well, that's um, tough. So, uh, you know, but then, th- then certainly a sense of excitement uh, and anticipation once, you know, once I get over there and I went over in July and it did just feel great. I had been a seminarian there myself. So I lived there for five years mm-hmm. and then came 
came home for 11 and uh so you go you go back and i had the perks of now i had my own bathroom and air conditioning <laughs> which in july is great uh, yes. you know? so there was a little bit of a change but um you know but it was great to go over and it was just an excellent year in in so many ways um just a beautiful experience and being with wonderful young men who are just trying to see if this is what the lord was asking them to do with their lives i, I guess that's really a good question I, probably the first question we should ask you is what what does your job entail so I've got this title, Director of Admissions, but I think they make that up in many ways just, to, just so that you have <laughs> like a title. Most titles. Yeah. <laughs> like so it's kind of just nothing. so you have a title, but the, the admissions part of my work, I'm, work, I'm doing that currently uh, even, is working with the applicants, helping them to, that will come in the, you know, in the next year. So working with them through the application process, which is great because that was something I was so familiar with as vocation director, <laughs> doing psychological evaluations and paperwork mm-hmm. and things like that. So that's the admissions piece i go on a little bit of a not a recruiting tour but a seminary visit each winter so i did that january february to meet with the guys whose bishops have asked them to come because they just have a lot of questions their parents have a lot of questions and so it gives just a face-to-face interaction and that's all throughout the u.s where you're going yeah so they sent three two of us two of us out um so i took the east coast and the upper midwest and the other priests took the south and the west coast it's a lot Uh, of traveling it was a lot it was 11 Seven seminaries in 13 days. Oh my goodness. So flights or driving? Flights, driving. Oh, wow. I had like six or seven rental cars. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I had never done something like that in my life. But the, the men themselves were so appreciative that mm-hmm. you had the chance. So, but that's just a kind of a little part of my work. Uh, most of my work would be. I, when I arrived, I was assigned 25 of the seminarians who would report to me. And so I would have to meet with them uh, at least once a month. But the, uh, the great majority of them live on the same hall as I do. So I would see mm-hmm. them every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to kind of be there mentor uh, that's probably the better word we say a formation advisor but really to be their mentor kind of as they're moving along um seeing the the things they're doing very well uh, as they're getting ready to be priests but also their areas for growth and just trying to to talk through those things with them so the great majority of the time is that but then you're also kind of an overseer looking at the entire community just trying to make sure that we're ordaining the right men uh, and that they're going back the best possible men that they can so you work with the other priest faculty members to to discuss and to evaluate those guys throughout the year. That's and how many some. how many uh, seminarians do you have at the NAC right now, roughly? We're just under two hundred. We're living at the seminary this year. Okay, so yeah. it's good size, good size house. Canada and Australia as well. Or we have that... nobody currently from Australia, but we do okay. have n- we had nine seminarians from Australia, which is great. Um, just adds a little you, bit to it. Nobody wait, wait, from which, Canada. Yeah, nobody from Canada. Or no one from a... Canada. Okay. okay, is that what I said? Or no, no? He, said, <laughs> he said nobody from Australia, and then nine people from Australia. So, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, listen, you just I'll got call back. Jet lag. I'm gonna, jet I was going to say yeah. we're throw out the jet lag. I've been back for almost three weeks. I don't think there's jet lag. But... <laughs> jet lag is real. Lasts a while. <laughs> <laughs> but we have nine from Australia, so they add a good dynamic to the house. Speaking country is. Exactly. So they, there's different, you know, national seminaries throughout Rome, uh, and all the men go to the universities. You know, there's major universities in Rome that they go to, and then they get formed in all the other ways at the houses of formation. So when the Australians were looking to be able to send some men outside of Australia for formation, they just felt that the American culture was kind of the closest to theirs, mm-hmm. rather than some of the other uh, minus the accent they had. 
they have the coolest they mock accents. Our accent oh our. my gosh, they, they have the coolest accents. They can mock it. <laughs> and they like to. I'm sure. I'm sure. The uh, so you know, I'm curious. What for you? What is a typical day when you're not traveling? Uh, what is a typical day at the neck? Sure. So like our Monday to Monday to Fridays are are pretty similar. So the morning we've got everybody's up and in the chapel by six fifteen in the morning. Uh, it's, that's when we have morning prayer followed by mass, then breakfast. Um, then there's a bit of a break in the morning. So that's when we would have our own faculty meetings with the priests, um, maybe with some of the older seminarians who have a different academic schedule to, to work with them on celebrating the sacraments, kind of teaching them, walking them, walking them through that, mm-hmm. or doing a little bit of paperwork. Or for me, that would be my own kind of personal time because the afternoon would be taken up uh, working with the seminarians one-on-one. So, so the morning is a lot more just my time unless there's individual faculty meetings then because the guys just go out to class and when they come back we have lunch together and then in the afternoon it's kind of meeting after meeting after meeting one-on-one with with seminarians um until the time for the holy hour which is around 5 30 mm-hmm. um and then evening prayer dinner and then whatever happens in the evening uh, yeah. which is for me i'm pretty early to bed so by the uh. time we finish with dinner it's just winding down and getting ready for bed. But the the miracle of, of it is, is you, you spent an entire year in Rome and came back, I'm pretty sure, skinnier than when you left. I don't think so. How does that work? Yeah, I haven't quite figured that out yet. Do I've you, seen the pasta. Although although a number of the people I know who have spent a long time in Rome, they all say the same thing, that typically Romans are, are rather the trim. Walking. It's all the walking. it's all the walking. Were you out about walking and getting your gelato? And he runs. I think and it was the running. I think that was really it because I, I was—I have to confess, when I went home, came home for Christmas, I was in the car, you know, driving to the airport, and I said, "When you come back, you have to do a better job, you know, going and visiting." Because the danger was that I'd lived there for five years already, and I'd seen the sights, and I probably wasn't taking as good advantage as I uh, as I could have. Mm. We've amazing food at the seminary really we are so fortunate which the it, the food is just delicious now is so, it like italian flair food or is it american cultural food it is but cook? we would eat more according to the italian schedule so your big meal is at lunch so okay. that's a 45 minute sit down meal mm-hmm. um where it's Different salad a pasta a meat and then fruit or dessert so that but that would be every day like that so you have to mm-hmm. be able to exercise portion control and <laughs> yeah but that in itself lends itself to weight loss because not eating later in the day. Right, where dinner is kind of just like leftovers and stuff. So it's much, it is much better in that sense. Um, But I think the running is really what helped. I ran a a half marathon when when I was there. I was training for the Rome Marathon. So, you know, I was keeping myself in shape that way. And there were a lot of seminarians that ran. So, you know, they... Is Rome a good running city? It's terrible. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Cobblestone, <laughs> cobblestones and hills. Up. That's yeah. basically what you got. So, so if Listen, you want to go out for Rome like a... with a with a baby stroller, and my kid, I was worried about him getting whiplash from all the cobblestone and stuff. I can't imagine running on it. Yeah, and the seminary's like halfway up a big hill. So, yes. you know, you either yeah. want to to begin your run, you go down the hill and run along the river, but then you got to end going uphill. Yeah. Or if you want to go to the park, you have to run a mile uphill. You know, so it's not fun, but it's true. You got to do it if you want to enjoy the food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious. You know, going back to your your daily life, um, you were you were a student there 11 years ago. Um, 
are there still professors, faculty there from your time? Is it peculiar to be the director of admissions and see them? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. You know, because normally we go on a three to five year term. So most of the guys, the the priest faculty would be uh, transferred by then. But there's actually, there's one priest that came my very last year of Benedictine. That's the director of liturgy. So he's been there for 13 years, I think. 12 or 13, yeah, 13 years now he's been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so that was interesting that he was still there after all of that time. And then there were two priests that were in the seminary with me mm-hmm. uh, who are now on faculty okay. as well. So that was a, a great thing too. Yeah, Father Adam Park, one of them, right? Father Adam Park, Father yes, Adam. yeah. So, so he was two years ahead of me. <laughs> I'll tell this quick story. So Father Adam Park, it's, you know, God's providence is something. I went to the University of Scranton for right after high school and all of a sudden the idea of the priesthood you know kind of came into my mind strongly and i had this image of seminarians in my mind and so i just never wanted to be a priest and i just thought seminarians were all weird and i meet this <laughs> i meet this father adam park uh who was a seminarian at scranton and uh and he was just a great, great guy. They have a seminary there on the they campus? They did at that point. They okay. had a college seminary. And uh, so so he played a huge role in me finally making the decision oh to, goodness, to enter yeah. the seminary. Then I lost contact with him once I went to St. Charles. But then I go to the NAC as a seminarian, and he's there. So mm-hmm. I had contact with him again. Yeah. And then he gets ordained. He leaves. I'm ordained. I leave. And then he's the dean of men or the vice rector uh, at the college now. So it's just to see a span of 20 years how that happens. Wow. Is, wow. Yeah, is God, a really great God's thing. Providence was definitely there. So, but we're 14 faculty members, so okay. 13 priests and a, and a woman religious uh, that serves as the psychologist on staff. Um, so, I met. Is she also the librarian? She's not. So oh, we have, I met the librarian. She was a sister too. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we have four. We actually have four sisters. Okay. Five, five sisters that are on on staff. Okay. But she would have more. The psychologist has more of an evaluative role and, gotcha. and things like Get that. Get faculty. That makes sense. The um, is it? You know, we, we prior to having you on, we've had we've been blessed to have. Uh, two podcasts prior to the last one we did one with the recent deacons in the diocese the transitional deacons in the diocese and then our two newest priests and in that group each uh, there is at least one guy who has been at at the knack in your view as an alumna of the knack as well is there a difference is there is there i wouldn't say i won't ask you to qualify as better or worse but is there a difference going to the knack versus doing your final seminary elsewhere yeah, I mean, I think the the whole reason that the NAC exists um, was first and foremost the request of the Holy Father back over 150 years ago that he wanted the American Church to feel close to the Holy Father, to have a have a closeness, a fondness for the for the, the Pope. We're a hierarchical church, and he yeah. plays an important role. And so, by having men that would live close by, uh, be formed to be priests, that they would bring that home to their parishes, and and, and hopefully that parishioners would also feel that same near and fondness for for the Holy Father and and everything with the church. So that was one reason uh, that that we're brought. But the other is a twofold thing. The NAC is a national seminary. So you study with men from all over the United States of America. And our experience of the Catholic Church is different. In the Northeast, we were an older church. We're a kind of like a shrinking church, unfortunately, as people are moving. And then you study with people from the South and Southwest, and they talk about these huge parishes where they can't build schools and churches fast enough. And yeah. so everybody's got their own experiences. So you learn from each other that way. But the key really is that you study at these universities with 
lay women, religious men and women, and and seminarians from all over the world. Yeah. And it gives you a great understanding that the church is not just Camden, New Jersey. It's not just New Jersey or the United States, but we do belong to a universal church that's spread worldwide uh, throughout the world. And uh, so that's just, to me, that's really the the main thrux of why a guy would study, mm-hmm. study over there, that they can have that experience and then be able to bring that back in the hope that it enriches the diocese. Yeah. And so ways and I know that it did for me I'm still in touch I just got an email two days ago from one of the sisters from Pakistan that I had studied with and we've stayed in touch with each other and I would never have those opportunities you know if I hadn't studied at the college there yeah and there's a big focus too I know from some of the seminarians that study there now one's a priest one's a deacon but uh, there's those travel weekends and they get to they're really encouraged to travel and see the local area of Europe there because it's quick plane rides, train rides, even rent a car and go out. And they get that richness of the faith and seeing different shrines, different um, tombs of the different saints and some grew up, some not. So I think there's also that factor where there's a, a bigger richness to their own faith. I know going over there myself four times now, seeing what I saw, it enriched my own faith. Like that really convicted it. And I think for these young priests coming out of the seminary there, they have a stronger I guess uh, devotion maybe to some of these saints, some of these shrines, some of these aspects of our faith that other seminarians wouldn't necessarily get to get to have. We can learn from them, right? Because the right. saints are the examples for our faith. Um, you know, so it, it, it's so true. And part of the traveling is that we you can't come home for your first two years. Mm-hmm. So it also teaches you detachment, um, obedience in many ways. Mm-hmm. So th- you sure. know, there are. There are those things, but then the men are not afraid to go travel to learn from all different places. Like they'll go to Calcutta over the summer and work with the missionaries of charity and visit uh, St. Mother Teresa's tomb or, you know, go work for a few weeks in Lourdes, um, you know, or different shrines and and places like that. So they, they do take advantage of the opportunity to to see the church, Mm -hmm. you know, in our very, in its varied forms throughout the world. Well, that's fascinating. And that, that, I mean, as someone who led a rather sheltered life in, in you know, my younger years, I, I hear about this with a great bit of jealousy, not the least of which is even now in my older years, I still haven't made it to Rome yet. People, when I got a job with the diocese, everyone was like, oh, you're going to be in Rome all the time. Yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> you got you to come visit. Yeah, have a visit. For, um, you have to do lazy. an on-site podcast from Rome. Hey, there's an idea. Or you can invite stream? me over a live podcast. stream from Rome. That's true. I was actually I was on the Cardinal Dolan's. Uh, I know. I listened to show. It. You yes. know. So if you came over, I'd gladly. Oh, <laughs> you stop by again. Cool. Okay. If anybody will come and visit, I'll do anything. You know. <laughs> you miss home so much. You're <laughs> do you? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you 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 and I have talked offline a few times, but do you feel a sense of homesickness? I, not in the way that I did as a seminarian, because I I have the opportunity to be able to come home. So like as a seminarian, those two years of not coming home that's, were very difficult that's a long time like that that was tough yeah. i certainly learned lessons from it and uh, you know i wouldn't change it but now like i left in july you know to go to rome but then i came back at christmas yeah. i'm back again so you know I, I don't experience it in the same way but i definitely miss home when i had to do my quarantine when i arrived back here uh, i went to ocean city and the very first morning i went for a run on the boardwalk and 
I, as soon as I got on the boardwalk, I was like, this is home. Yeah. This Aww. just feels so good to be here. You know, this is where I belong. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I know I've been assigned to go work elsewhere for a few years, but this is where I'm coming back. And, yeah. you know, I, I said to you outside, I tell all the seminarians, I'm just a simple soul from South Jersey. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as long as I can stay that way, I'll be, I'll be no worse for the few years in Rome. That's right. You'll, nice. you'll continue to be a good priest. Um, the uh, Now, we when we had the seminarians on, well, now, deacon and, and priests mm-hmm. i have asked them about do is one of the things they've learned how to do is to be tour guide from all the people that will come visit <laughs> anytime someone they know comes to rome do they have to go into tour guide mode and i assume that includes faculty has to do that too you do learn to take people take people around <laughs> i think the challenge is learning how to be gracious when people come to town uh, and give them some time but also know that your primary responsibilities or your studies and your formation. So yeah. learning how to balance that out. Um, however, part of the formation for any priests is we'd say there's four dimensions formation and one of them is pastoral. So they all are involved in some sort of apostolic work. And so I would say about half of the seminarians end up during their first two years that their actual assignment is to give tours of either St. Peter's Basilica the excavations underneath St. Peter's Basilica, St. Paul's Basilica, or the catacombs of St. Callisto. And so a lot of them do get the opportunity to actually learn how to be a tour guide, Mm -hmm. which is, I never did that as a seminarian. I kind of wish I did, because I I always say to them, then you've got your one spot, like 20 years from now, when you're taking a parish pilgrimage, you have to hire tour guides for these, all these other places, but this one spot is yours. You know it. You know it inside and out, yeah. (laughs) But uh, the guys like it because people take them out to eat naturally of mm-hmm. course and they can go out for ice cream and that's what <laughs> yes. they care about the gelato. most gelato, gelato is the proper <laughs> carries more accustomed listen, than I listen when I'm there I get it twice a day I can't get enough at Old Bridge I know it's right near the seminary right. that's my favorite thanks to the seminarians introducing me to they it they know oh, the right my. spots that's it for sure it is so good it's such a little tiny place with such good gelato so yeah. if you offer them a, a meal they'll give you a tour that's yeah. kind of how it works oh well that's good to know alright I will say that the one time I visited a, a seminary that had one of our seminarians at it I, I actually was kind of blown away by the kindness of the seminarian to never leave my side and to I mean he, he was unbelievable he, he kept after me the entire sat with me I was up there for a presentation sat with me showed me around the seminary I was really actually blown away because I as, had I been a college student at the time because he was I guess he was in major seminary um, I still would have been very naive and not comfortable around people and is that is that part of the seminary experience is getting them comfortable with the idea of interacting with people? It's certainly a, a, a learning lesson that they have to go through. So, And you experience it and you have to teach them um, where their families come to Rome, mm-hmm. they're showing them around the seminary you walk by and they never even stop and say, you know, like, yeah, Father, can, can, can I introduce you to my parents? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, you have to say, these are the proper things to do. You know, you yeah. got to do this and that. Yeah. And they just don't know sometimes, but you do try to find ways and unfortunately or fortunately I don't know how they look at it there's so many people that come through Rome that you know that the men get plenty of experience of having to be gracious and welcoming but that's what we're supposed to do if we're not learning if they're not learning it before they're ordained I don't know how they're going to be doing it as priests our parishes have to be welcoming environments so if you can't welcome them to your home where you're living how are you going to translate that into parish ministry so it really is an important thing I don't think you have to they teach each other more than us having to teach them so I think we really just 
you observe and you watch where they mess up a little bit and then try to help them and encourage them when they do well, obviously. But they really learn from each other because they're watching each other. Yeah. They compare That's themselves good. to each other too much. You know, mm. so. That was a downfall. Yeah. The, uh, but I, it does, you know, we don't talk about this much ever, actually, even on this podcast. Well, we talk about it a little bit on this podcast. But there really is a whole person aspect to seminary life. It's not just learning the spiritual aspects of our faith mm-hmm. and it's not just the learning how to actually perform the liturgy or celebrate the liturgy. It is how to be a good priest and everything that goes into it. I mean, even like what 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 are things that uh, take place in seminary that maybe most lay people don't realize or don't think about? I think, for, I mean, sometimes we, Bishop used this line in, in the homily, I think this past weekend, he said to the guys, don't forget your roots, you know, remember where you're from. He said, sometimes people think that priests just fall out of the heavens. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so people's image of seminarians is probably a little bit off, but they would be edified by by the spiritual discipline that they try to keep. Um, they'd be surprised by how hard the men are on themselves in mm-hmm. wanting to really, to really be the best. Um, but people probably would not realize just how evaluative an environment the seminary can feel at times. I mean, I'm not sitting there looking, trying to find out and see exactly how a guy messes up. You know, I've, I always tell them, I probably encourage them more than anything, but you're also looking to to try to see what are the quirks that they need to work on, things that they don't see in themselves that really need some growth so that they can be balanced and and more mature once they're ordained and become priests. Because what do people encounter but the human first? Yeah. You know, they, you can be a genius, that's fine, but that's not what someone sees first. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look like a slob, if you aren't looking people in the face, if you, you know, you're rude, that's what people are going to remember. Um, I, I don't think I could ever be a priest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all three good. of those things. <laughs> Sorry. And it's not like we're going to be perfect, but you know, try to, try to <laughs> He has no tie on either, just so we all know. But <laughs> Summertime. <laughs> the, but people uh, encounter the man first. And so the, yes. the, the idea of human formation, people probably would not realize that that's something that's focused on as much as it is. You know, you would figure that the guys are spending time with their studies so academic formation is important and their spiritual life but we do spend a lot of time with them on their their personalities and the and the human aspects that they have you know I, you. I mean something you mentioned to me i think the last time we were talking carrie was just how impressed you are actually with all the seminarians in our diocese and and i have to i'm as critical a human being as there is and i haven't found a bad one of the bunch i mean i've never seen such gracious accommodating mm-hmm. helpful uh, I actually, I actually screwed something up right before Chrism Mass uh, last year, and with like thirty seconds to go before the mass started, I was about to clean up the mess, and the seminarian stopped me. Said, "I got it, took care of it, and was done before the mass did started." Did you drop the Chrism or something? What did you do? <laughs> I, I'm still waiting I'm for that. I didn't see it. I would have been <laughs> no. It was a panic uh, I knocked over the. Uh, Thermal, the the, the oh, right. thing, yeah, yeah, terrible, yeah. terrible, uh, and uh, and knocked all the, uh, the whatever ashes. the ashes out of it, and it was going to be a problem. And that the seminarian came right over and took care of me. Uh, like, they're you, they're sir. really wonderful. And you know, Father Romano, 
this is to your credit, a lot of them have said, Father Romano told us to do this, and we do it. I always notice, because my mom drilled it in our heads, sending thank you notes when you do something for, you know, anybody does something for you, you send them a thank you note. And the seminarians are so good. Um, so many of them that are now, they were all under you, many of them that I know, some priests now, about sending thank you notes to the point where I told them, you don't have to send one for every little thing. It's really okay. And some of them say, well, Father Romano taught us to always, always send one. And I think it's really nice. And it's not just a quick thank you. I mean, they're like a whole paragraph, a whole card full. And I think that's to your credit a lot on how you form them. And it's the little things that like mm-hmm. people do take note. And that's like one of those, you know, if your parents never told you that, you would never think to do it. But it goes a long way, especially with the old ladies at church and they give them little cards and stuff. If you don't get a thank you note, you'll know, you'll know about it. You'll hear about it. So I think it's your credit in the formation of the human person. That's one little example that I know I've taken note of over the years working in the diocese. No, thanks. They, they mocked me over the thank you notes. Well, like, I'm praising because, you. <laughs> because I would know you say to them, and if, if you even think like, is this worth writing a thank you note? That tells you. Definitely See, write the thank you the note. You know? So I was just, it's so funny that you said it because I got two thank you notes this week from two of our seminarians and I opened one right before I left and I said to my mom, I really was crazy about these thank you notes. That's so like, funny. I, you know, these guys, I was with two guys and got them something from Wawa. Well, they didn't have to write a thank you note for the Wawa, but is. you know, they, they did it. So There it is. <laughs> but it makes a difference, right? It, it truly does. It truly does. And it's those things. And I think, you know, with the priesthood scandal and everything that we've gone through, like we seminarians and priests have to fight any sense of entitlement. We we mm-hmm. don't deserve anything. And so to me, thank you notes are one of those ways to remind myself mm-hmm. I don't deserve this and I have to express gratitude for it's it. Nice. Um, yeah. You know, so that was one of the human things I tried to. You've done it well. Be on time, <laughs> be properly dressed and write <laughs> thank you notes. They were probably my big three things. <laughs> and, and they go a long way. Those are, those are good ones. And for tonight, he was early, he's in his clerics and, and he's I been quite late. cordial the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you were late. <laughs> I don't have a so, time. You had other commitments. (laughs) That's great. You know, going back to talking about Rome a little bit, um, did it did the knack in Rome in general? But uh, has it changed much since you were there as a student? Or seminary? There definitely are more tourists um, in Rome than when I was a seminarian mm. there. Um, that you can certainly see the growth. The lines are so much longer now. Some of that also has to do with security and and trying to get through things. But you can just tell the city is much more crowded. Unfortunately, it got more dirty. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. for whatever reason, they just aren't it. Italians. I shouldn't say all Italians within the city of Rome and some cities. They're just not so good about taking care of things as they could and should have. So it could be a little bit dirtier. Um, the seminary itself had kind of totally been renovated. Mm. So I was a seminarian at the very beginning of that. But then when I came back, it was amazing just to see everything, yeah. you know, air conditioning, and uh, which would never existed, you know, <laughs> and heating, not in the student rooms, but in common areas. Um, and they're basically, they just have one more project they have to do. But the biggest thing was because formation had changed, the building that we're in was built maybe 50, 60 years ago. And the whole way that formation is done has changed and what the what we had was not adequate so they built a brand new tower that's nine stories tall and it has practice chapels so that you can work with the men on the sacraments it has classrooms so that for the formation they meet once a week as a class to do their formation 
And uh, so we didn't have classroom space. When I was a student, we were meeting in basement rooms. It was terrible. So now they've got real nice rooms. There's a lot more homily practices as well. Mm. Um, And then they've got a brand new gym, brand new sports field. And so... <laughs> so while Rome has not changed so much, it's the Eternal City. The, uh, the, the seminary, there's been That's many upgrades, which are nice to be Good. able to utilize. You know, uh, going back to our recent ordinations, I um, you just mentioned uh, you know um, chapel practice chapels for for the to men to learn the liturgy, right? So. Um, we just had the ordinations and the day after that is always the first masses and we you know we had the priests on the other day uh they i asked which is more terrifying is it your first mass or is your ordination without missing a beat they said oh it's first mass (laughs) (laughs) and i said so for you as someone who was helping form these guys for so long uh are you nervous during their first mass at all oh of course i am yeah I think I every year I kind of cry through the ordination, which is tough when you're the MC, like to the bishop. Like, I know I'd be walking up the aisle and I just have tears coming down my face, you know, walking behind the bishop up the aisle. This year was different. I still cried through the whole thing, but uh, (laughs) you know. And then at the first mass, I'm such a control freak. I think that's part of it. So once you get to the first mass, it's out of my control. So I'm nervous, you know, probably for them more than anything Mm because. You know, well, go ahead. It's funny you should say that because Peter, Father Peter, he's he's been a good friend of mine for years. Father Peter Gallagher did his second mass here on Monday night and at the day after his first mass. And I was more nervous for him then because at the first mass, there's so many priests around. So you mess up and somebody could say, oh, look here, go here. The second mass, it was just him and him alone. So who's going to tell him nobody what to do? Like you missed the line, you messed up. So I was more nervous for the second mass. Which did he is do okay? He did perfect. He didn't miss a beat. He did a great, <clears throat> excuse me. The only thing I think what he got a little hung up on, which is no fault to him, is the communion being at the end of mass because uh, of uh, yeah. how things are changed with our diocese and COVID restrictions and all. So he had to have somebody assist him with that part, yeah. uh, which our guy that's here who's a deacon information is great and has been on our committee team to organize that. So he, he guided him, but the mass itself, perfect. Good. But I was nervous for him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it is it a lot of tra- you know going and talking about the sort of the liturgical stuff a little bit? Is it a lot of training for learning to celebrate the mass mm-hmm. as well as uh, your homilies and a lot of practices? I'm a lot of practices. I mean, so I, they do a lot of the mass practice together like they'll pair up um during their during their time and then with their formation advisor which that's what what i do they'll have to do it once or twice before now this year because of the covid thing everything was a little bit different but Mm -hmm. typically did they do it on zoom like father here's my man (laughs) (laughs) we had to rely more on the diocese doing things so i know like father peter and father john had to sit had to do it in front of father hughes and Mm -hmm. father adam um to make sure that they were you know not screwing up big time or anything (laughs) but uh but then the other celebrate sacramental celebrations that you want to be doing daily that's where you're like a a guy will do a lot more practice with his formation advisor Mm -hmm. because you know you just don't he's not going to practice baptisms or do baptisms immediately so just trying to make sure that he knows how to get through the book that he can do it the right way confessions are so important so Mm -hmm. making sure that they go through confession practices which they would do 
uh, in small groups a few times, but then would also do, you know, usually once a month with their formation advisor. This is not the whole time they're in the seminary, just their last year of mm -hmm. preparation. Yeah. Uh, so they do a lot together. And then this, the other sacraments they'll do with their priest faculty members. You know, uh, that begs a question. Remembering back to your early times, uh, what like what celebration was would make other than your first mass would make you mo most nervous like what, what the right? first time I heard confessions was really? oh my gosh I, I can remember I was staying at my home parish and it was a Friday night I came in and the pastor just looked at me and he said you're going to take confessions tomorrow morning oh. and I was like I am I was like I haven't heard any confessions you'll be fine don't worry about it so off I went and I heard confessions the next morning I was petrified oh. um, you can only hope they go behind the screen and then at yeah. least you could use a cheat sheet or something <laughs> like, like don't let me screw this up help uh -huh. me remember these words and the yeah, prayers and not yeah. say the wrong thing yeah. um, that's a lot you know you're dealing with people and you know and them being kind of just so intimately it's a vulnerable dealing with moment going on. too vulnerable for them the right yeah. yeah so uh that was probably the biggest the biggest fear you know the firsts of everything were tough the first funeral the first wedding and yeah. but then mm -hmm. you start to get used to used mm -hmm. to all of it preaching i never felt like that just was something that i could do and not be nervous like yeah. that has continued where even now even today? now oh yes really? yeah and in the seminary it's worse like really? preaching to all these seminarians and priests really i have my foot is shaking like you know really? Father, you don't show <laughs> so it at all i would never been, think of that of you uh, yeah i've not been for worried? whatever reason i still struggle with that <laughs> are you worried they're they're silently criticizing you while you're i know going? they're silently oh, okay. criticizing me <laughs> now is it often that you get to preach to them That's because i know the they biggest, rotate yeah. right they're different is it how often would you say you preach to them it's been the biggest change for me because i was used to preaching a few times during the week and once mm -hmm. on the weekends um i i seriously went for three months without oh, wow. getting a homily wow really because so, it's a training place and so the the deacons so like father gallagher when mm -hmm. he had to be able to preach a couple of times during the year and mm -hmm. it's more important that they're getting the opportunity mm -hmm. to you know to practice as ordained ministers yeah um and just because of the way that the schedule works i did go for one period i went for three months wow. but then a lot I, less worries for you yeah that was much easier <laughs> but then i like in september i preached once a week and in june i preached once a week so i don't uh -huh. know or may yeah. i preached once a week so it seems to well, be a, a, a lot strange of them were schedule home at that point right because of part covid of it, yeah now are you preaching now where are you are you at a parish right now or are you just home relaxed i haven't had a weekend where i was was home yet because of the mm -hmm. quarantine and then the ordination um normally i've been helping out at our lady of hope parish in blackwood mm -hmm. okay so have you preached there like weekday masses or anything yet not yet. not yet not yet just because of the covid restrictions i felt like i was more of a a pressure on the priests mm -hmm. like yeah. for them to have to worry that I'm doing it the right way and I was nervous uh, because I didn't have to do any of that in Rome yeah. mm -hmm. so you know I've not yet been to really masses with these COVID restrictions in place other than the ordinations and first masses but Which were even, even a they were a little bit different yeah. than what the rules are yeah. so I just was, I've been nervous about screwing that up well, you know, that's this probably then just the right time to talk about it. You have survived COVID in one of the epicenters of the pandemic. Um, so how was it for you? Like when when did COVID become a sudden realization for your in your time in Rome? I remember when I was doing the seminary visits in January, February, you could get the sense that things things were changing. Um, I, I can distinctly remember my flight back to Europe being canceled and feel, just feeling like something not good 
is on the cusp and I really want to get back to the seminary because that's my responsibility is to be with these men. Um, it didn't, it wasn't like anything happened right away then, but mm. it was beginning for sure. Uh, mm. it, it, I would say by February, it was beginning to hit Italy um, in a noticeable way. And so week by week, and then even in, I'd say by the time we got to the end of February, beginning of March, it was like day by day, you could just tell this is not going well. Um, things are, things are bad yeah. and we're in for, we're in for something. Now I never in my life could have imagined that it would be this and it would be like, like this and it would go on for so long, but you could tell we were going to have at least a two week period where we were going to have to sh- kind of hunker down and, and deal with it. But it's obviously lasted so much longer than yeah. that. What, what, what did you do with the men at the seminary? Did, were they able to stay? Did you kick them all out? So the, you know, I, I, we've all been learning lessons about this virus as as things have moved along. So the first reports were that it was something that was really only affecting elderly people. Mm-hmm. We're not an elderly population. It's mm-hmm. you know a bunch of twenty and thirty year old guys. Um, some of the priest faculty are a little bit older, but it was like there's no need to be overly concerned about this because this doesn't affect young people. Then it looked like the hospitals in northern Italy were really being overrun and. There were some concerns as as things happened, but ultimately we just tried to encourage the guys to have faith, to trust, you know, don't worry. This is their first time. It was the first time for all of us to deal with something so unknown and out of our control. And all of us either have a fight or a flight reaction. Mm-hmm. And it was so clear. I said I was living with so many dramatic people, you know, like, <laughs> you know, who all had opinions, but none of us really knew anything. So by the end of February, beginning of March, maybe it was the end of February, um, once they decided that universities were going online, it's the beginning of March. That's how it worked. Um, they And they announced that the whole country was going to be on a lockdown. Yeah. The seminary at that point decided, if you would like to go home, you can. Mm-hmm. So about half of the community, a little less than half, uh, decided to fly back to the United States. Um, so many stayed. Yeah, so the we were a community time. of 100 people. They mm. didn't stay for the whole time. So that was phase one. Oh, and then, okay. then there were some reports that things were just going to get terrible, that food wasn't going to be available. None of them ended up being true. Um, but out of just an abundance of concern, mm-hmm. two weeks after that, we had a two weeks of 100 guys who were so happy. It was wonderful. It was just a phenomenal two weeks. We were really? all locked in together. And they just found ways to be so involved with each other and, you know, the sports like crazy. And mm-hmm. they, it was it was beautiful. It was Thankful really to a have beautiful that nice experience. new field out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And gorgeous weather, which yeah. helps. It was oh, like was sun, 70 and sunny every day. Um, the best St. Patrick's Day party. It was just like <laughs> a great uplifting thing. But then the seminary decided that they had to close and and send the rest of the community home after two weeks and that was kind of devastating and crushing it, yeah. that was really really tough and sitting with each of my men uh I, at that point i probably had 12 or 13 that were still in rome and talking to them one-on-one it was just a kind of a tear-filled thing because yeah. it wasn't what they wanted they mm. wanted to just stick it out and the seminary had to close uh, so they they left but then we still had nine men that could not return the australians couldn't get back to australia and um and there were three American seminarians that could not return due to immigration uh, issues, and so um, we, you know, we stayed with them through throughout the whole thing. Thank God they were there. Yeah, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of kept our spirits lifted, and and we had a good time together. So we were locked 
down though for 10 weeks um, in a very strict lockdown. Like you, were you not didn't allowed, leave the seminary You could not leave the campus. Uh, I left one. I left twice. Once to take a guy to the hospital, and then the next day to go to the pharmacy to get a medicine. Mm-hmm. In in ten weeks, but you had to fill out a form. The police could stop you and ask you why you're off your property. They would time you. You'd have to get back in a certain amount of time. So wow. they really, really were strict in Italy, and the citizens followed the law. <laughs> we know. had the eight p.m. like curfew. I remember oh, yeah, leaving the, the live streams nine thirty at night. <laughs> no one stopped. <laughs> me no one cared yeah we no it was, like was total, open yeah. <laughs> I, to, to go from that to being back here and seeing how nonchalantly some people are taking it it's yeah. like it, it is a shock to the system at first like the walk in the ocean city boardwalk i'm like oh my goodness like, <laughs> wearing masks? nobody's wearing a mask <laughs> where like it was just this, this is the rule in italy they really did they just followed the rules these are the rules um so it went fast and then it went really slowly for a little while mm-hmm. um like oh my gosh how long is this gonna yeah. go on and because nobody knew and they kept talking about this 15 days to flatten the curve mm-hmm. um i mean internally i knew that the seminarians were not going to be getting back that year yeah. but the seminarians were hoping that they were going to return so you were just dealing with so many things throughout it all um yeah. so we got through, we, you know, we had the Tritum together, Easter together, and then finally at the beginning of May, the country started to open up again, and, yeah. uh, and things have been just improving day by day in such great ways in Italy. Well, that's good. And good is hear. the expectation for the seminary to open up as normal or as normal-like? That, that's that's certainly the hope. Okay. Yeah, that's certainly the hope. Um, Do they have, like, a lot of the different rules that we have here where, like, maybe only, I don't know, uh, do they all have their own rooms there? They do have all the oh, okay. rooms. Okay, then there's there's not that question, but like the plexiglass going up everywhere, and do they have all that in like the stores and stuff? Or is they it definitely, yeah. When they were opening things up, so within the country of of Italy and and my experience in Rome, they you know they're steps ahead of us because okay. they're because the virus Started hit them earlier. first, so yeah. they're four weeks ahead of us um, with everything. So you know they were following you know you dining and the. You have to wear a mask when you walk into the restaurant. And, uh, and, you know, anytime you're not seated at your table, you have to wear a mask. But the waiters, um, they always have masks and gloves on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those things are a little bit different. Go into St. Peter's, you have to get a temperature check first. Wow. Mm-hmm. Then you, but you got to keep social distancing to get in and go through security. And even while you're in the basilica. So a lot has changed. Yeah, has yeah. Changed. yeah. And then the city just emptied out, really? you know. It just, there's no tourists there. Mm-hmm. Um so what you're saying is this is the time I should go. Go, <laughs> oh Mike. Okay, no lines. And flights are cheap. Go oh, yeah. All right. All I have to do is risk COVID, not a problem. <laughs> There's nobody, nobody there. But we had the, I mean, the Pope just did such amazing things. So just to be there, not that we got to be with him, but that Irby at Orby in the rain. That was, was incredibly I mean, powerful. Just absolutely amazing. I couldn't believe the that. The stations mm-hmm. of the cross in the empty square. Yeah. That, you mm-hmm. know, so... There are things that'll be in all of our minds, but certainly for me, kind of being locked down in Rome, mm-hmm. uh, looking at the Dome of St. Peter's and being like, I'm so close, yeah. but I can't even participate in this mm-hmm. because of the situation. However, it wasn't all terrible. You did get to hang out with Pope Francis for a little bit this year, right? I did get to meet the Pope. Yes. That was a good segue there. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. The, I'm a professional. The, um, the, yeah, no, this was, uh, you had a great opportunity. You weaseled your way into uh, Bishop Sullivan's uh, ad limitum visit. Visit to our ad limited visit to the uh, to um, to see the Holy Father with the other priests in Region Three. 
Right? Correct. Region, right. Region three, three uh, which is all of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York, I think, right? No, just no. New Jersey no. and Pennsylvania. Yeah. Okay. I know that from NCYC. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got to know our regions. Yeah. I should know it because I'm the communications director. You and yet, I didn't. The, um, but uh, it must have been somewhat gratifying because uh, you also helped, uh, along with myself and a few other people, helped work on an enormous, uh, what was that thing called again? The, uh, the quinquennial report. Quinquennial. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this I don't even like to think about it. 288-page report that was uh, every bishop has to give every five years, right? They say five years, yeah, roughly five like years. eight. So. And as part of this quinquennial report, you have to go visit the pope. And so all the bishops of, in our area went to, vi- went to visit. And uh, the uh, bishop extended the offer to you to go as well, right? It was great. Yeah. It was great. It was Thanksgiving Day because yep. it's not Thanksgiving in the Vatican. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we got to – so each bishop brought his uh, – whatever priests that he had brought with him and the seminarians that they had at the at the college. And so Bishop Sullivan brought Father Hughes, myself, and then uh, now Father Gallagher and Deacon Paul. So the four of us kind of mm-hmm. walked like little dogs behind the bishop and then the bishop shook the pope's hand and then introduced each of us to the holy father and what did you say to the holy father so i somehow i had gotten snookered into giving the holy father a t-shirt so basically my my conversation with the pope was he was looking at this neon orange shirt instead of me and i just said you know it's thanksgiving day and we ran a 5k race uh, around the vatican and the seminarians wanted me to give you this t-shirt and that was all i got to say and the holy father said grazie yeah. actually you know what he opened the sh- he opened the shirt cuz he never says anything in english he right. speaks yeah. in spanish or italian right um, and it was also it was a difficult thing because my mind thinks in English the bishop's talking to the Holy Father in Spanish I'm speaking Italian you know, <laughs> so there's all this going on but he opens the shirt and then he looks at it and then he says hmm turkey trot <laughs> so everybody loved that you know, like, <laughs> that is a great that is really great <laughs> and did uh, did the seminarians have enjoyed the opportunity to, to be there they loved it they mm-hmm. loved it because originally we did not think that that was going to happen so it was a great surprise that we were all able to meet the Pope that That's day awesome. and so. that that day uh, at least uh, later in that day you had a turkey lunch or dinner it was dinner because of all of this odd limitous stuff. So, um, so a good, huge I, I Thanksgiving heard it was a meal. Good turkey dinner. Yeah, it was delicious. It was delicious. So they do Thanksgiving well. Of course, you have to start with ravioli. <laughs> well, naturally, of course. <laughs> and then you can move on to the American meal. But uh, so it's it's a wonderful way again of being welcoming. So the seminary welcomes all of the Americans who live in Rome. Mm-hmm. And then this year we had the bishops on ad limina, and so the the refectory, the cafeteria is just full of people, and it's just yeah. a great day to mm-hmm. you know to celebrate. And for the men. In their first year, that's their first holiday away from their family, and so it's a we, they, like they just home. do great, great mm-hmm. things to help uplift their spirits. Well, when you, nice. a day you might feel homesick. Now wait a second, did you say all Americans in Rome can come to the seminary for a Thanksgiving meal? Well, if they know someone <laughs> and get invited, okay. invite only. <laughs> okay. It's not that big a refectory. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Are the cooks uh, American or Italians. Italian? They're all Italian. Cooks? Yes. Okay. Yeah. How is your Italian, by the way? It's not as good as when I was a student. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, because you lose. Oh, I was home eleven years, but you talk to the staff, and they're you know you've got to speak to them in Italian. So I get the, the practice, but I'm not going to school the way that they were, yeah. uh, the way the seminarians are. So I'm not hearing it mm-hmm. for a few hours a day and reading books in Italian like they have to do. So I was pretty good at it when I left. I lost some of it. Hopefully, it'll come back as the years go on. 
I don't know. You know, the more I hear you talk, the more I realize that I think I need to give you a, a talking Catholic show. So we, you get like our man in Rome show Could for our, for, for, for either I YouTube like or it. as a podcast. Isn't it, wouldn't that be a great idea? I, think that. I don't think I have the equipment. <laughs> uh, I'll send it to you. Don't oh, worry it's, about it. It's, it's, a, it's an Amazon purchase. <laughs> this yeah. was enough just to get me on right now. So, and by myself. <laughs> I, I know. I normally you, try to have someone great, to do all the talking. A, a great voice. I think, I think you should go for it, Father. See? Carrie, I'm glad you're doing these podcasts <laughs> she does everything she's she we we overworked her nicely i just a, let me just say nice i bragged to everybody that was in rome with me even though we were only 23 people so i don't want to town too many <laughs> our diocese was just something to be, be proud of with what you all did oh, during for the people at home that. i mean it, it was just it was so well done and well planned well thank you that's very kind of you to say the uh, well thank you for joining us today yeah, we this really appreciate that wonderful no. conversation and do continue to do a good job with particularly our seminarians while they're at the NAC, but all the seminarians, you know, look mm -hmm. after them too. And uh, keep up the good work. And if there's, and I'm not kidding, I actually would like to do more stuff with yourself as well as our seminarians at the NAC. So be open-minded to maybe a couple of Zoom calls or some YouTube stuff down the line. But uh, but anyway, thank you very much. And thank you to our listeners for listening. And Carrie, thank you for giving us your space again. That was great. Thanks God bless. So much. God bless everybody.